Thank you. Wow. Nothing can and nothing ever will. Isn't that a great message? If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew uh, chapter 4. And I want to begin by saying what a privilege it is to finally be here and to stand behind this pulpit. I know that uh, this is a great stewardship and I ask for your prayers and uh, that you will just uh, lift us up to the Lord as we uh, start this new endeavor. Uh, I am uh, so thankful for the welcoming messages that so many of you have sent and I've gotten stacks of cards and letters and phone calls and emails and social media messages and I appreciate that. You have made me feel at home. Uh, many of your messages though have said, I can't wait for something and uh, it's been a lot of different things and <coughs> to that I would say, pardon me, uh, me neither. I am looking forward to that. Uh, but I think the most important thing in these days is to recognize that we're in a long relay race. And my most important priority right now is just to take hold of the baton that's being passed to me and try my best not to drop it. Uh, the race, the leg before me has been run well. And uh, I think in these days, we just have to make sure that our watchwords are patience, steadfastness, and faithfulness. And we'll look and see, wait and see what the Lord is going to do. There are 662 resident family members of the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. Plus, there are many of you who are guests in our church. And so when you do the math, that's a whole lot of people. Now, it's my priority to meet with everybody, and I've started this this last week. We've done a number of family meetings when I've been able to sit down with families and get to know them a little bit and pray with them, and I want to do that with you, but it's going to take a while. So uh, be patient with us. We'll get a few in every week, and hopefully by the end of the year, we can meet with everybody uh, who would like to meet. There are some other priorities as well. Uh, it's my goal this year to preach all new messages to you. The temptation is just to preach something that I have preached before, uh, but I really believe that God wants me to wrestle with the word each week and then just stand here and preach to you uh, from the overflow of that study. And so that takes some time, and I want to be committed to that in the early days. Uh, there's a learning curve here. This is a complex uh, church. There are a lot of moving parts we have a fantastic staff who manage all of that, uh, but it's going to take a while really to wrap my brain around all that's going on. And of course, we'll be beginning earnestly this week to search for some new staff members, and that'll be a time consumer as well. Uh, this isn't overwhelming because God always gives us enough energy and enough time to do the things that he wants for us to do, uh, but your prayers will be needed and appreciated. Now, next Sunday, I want to share with you a covenant. Uh, there are five things that I want to commit to you as your new pastor. And there are five things that I want to ask you to make a commitment to me concerning. And we're going to do that next week. So I encourage you to be here. That'll be an important day. Now, having said all of that, you've turned to Matthew chapter 4. I want to talk this morning about the temptations of Christ. It seems like temptations have changed much in the last several years. 
Many of the things that people are tempted to do today were unheard of a hundred years ago, maybe even impossible a hundred years ago. Jesus never gave a parable about compulsive gaming. Did you know that? This electronic gaming that's taking over some people's lives, Jesus never even spoke about that. Peter never preached a sermon about the abuse of prescription drugs. It's not anywhere in the Bible. The apostle Paul never wrote a letter about the dangers of internet pornography. It seems like temptation has changed, but the truth is that the things that we're tempted with today really in the substance of those things have not changed at all. We're tempted in the same way our grandparents were tempted and the same way that their grandparents were tempted. You're tempted today the same way you were tempted yesterday and the same way you will be tempted tomorrow. The real substance of temptation just hasn't changed. And so the question is, what are we going to do to overcome these age-old temptations that we face? And I think we find the answer in this uh, event that's recorded beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So look with me in the first verse. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, what we're about to see in the next nine verses, the story of the temptation of Christ is a very intimate look into the life of Christ. We, we know that Jesus, when he went into this time of temptation, was all alone. There were no disciples there. There were no friends. There were no followers. And so the only way we can know what has happened here is that at some later point, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he says, men, let me share with you about one of the darkest most difficult events in my life. And Jesus shared what we read in these, in these next nine verses. And so this is an important glimpse into Christ's life. And what we're gonna see as Jesus faces these three temptations is we're gonna see three kinds of temptations that we face every single day. In fact, we're gonna see the primary and the most important temptations, the most dangerous temptations that anybody ever faces. These are three must-win battles for your life. No matter if you're a high school student or you're retired, you're gonna face these three things and they are gonna be must-win battles. Do you know what a decisive battle is? A decisive battle is a battle that takes place that determines the outcome of the war. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to uh, fly to Baltimore and meet my family. My family is going to drive to Baltimore, and we're going to spend a little time in D.C. and a little time down in Lynchburg, but we're going to spend the day in Gettysburg. Does anybody know why you would spend a day in Gettysburg? I've been there before. It's just a sleepy town in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania. There's not much there except for one thing. There is a battlefield there, the Battle of Gettysburg. And historians say, and I'm not a historian, but historians say that the Battle of Gettysburg was one of the decisive battles to determine the outcome of the Civil War. And that's why people go there. That's why people study the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, we're not far here from the Alamo, right? Had an opportunity a few years ago to go to the Alamo. And, and historians say that for a little different reason, uh, the, 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 the fight at Alamo, the battle at Alamo, was one of the decisive battles in the Texas Revolution. And what they mean by that is that those battles determine the outcome of the war. Well, when the history of your life is written, 
your battle with these three temptations will turn out to be the decisive battles in your life. How you fight these temptations that Jesus fought will determine the outcome of your life. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to look at each of these temptations. I want to see what Jesus faced. I want to see how you and I face the same thing. I want to see how Jesus had victory. And I want us to learn how you and I can have victory as well. So let's begin with the first temptation. Now, it's not going to seem like the most important temptation in the world, but just hang with me. You'll see it before we get to the end of the message. The first temptation was a temptation for Jesus to resolve his own problems instead of waiting on the provision of the Lord. The first temptation is that Jesus faced a need, Jesus faced a problem, and he was tempted to solve it himself instead of waiting on the Father to give solution to the problem. And so let's just read the passage. Verse two says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I'm sure he was. And so Jesus is in this supernatural fast. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells us he didn't have anything to eat. Uh, we believe he also didn't have anything to drink. And so he's hungry. He's so hungry, we learn that he looks at these stones just in the arid wilderness where he was, these smooth stones, and to him the stones looked like bread. But I'm sure after 40 days with no food, everything looked like bread, okay? And so he is very hungry. That was a legitimate need that he had. Verse three, then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so the tempter comes, Satan comes and tempts him to turn the stones into bread. Now there's much we need to learn about that verse before we go any further. And one of those things is just that temptation is a normal part of the Christian life. Oftentimes people think that when you become a Christian that somehow you have defeated all temptation, that you have such victory in your life that you never again face temptation, that if you could just be close enough to God, temptation would just fall away. But the truth is you will always struggle with temptation. Jesus was tempted, you're going to be tempted. Jesus had just been baptized, by the way. They say that baptism never drowns the devil. And so Jesus was baptized in the end of chapter three. Now he's at the beginning of chapter four and he's in the, in the fight of his life with temptation. You are going to be tempted. Until God takes you to heaven, until the race of this life is over, you're going to fight with temptation. Jesus did and you will. Now, sometimes we confuse people in churches when we talk about this. We, for instance, will have somebody come and give a testimony and it'll sound like this. I was an alcoholic and I struggled with, with uh, drunkenness all my life. It nearly ruins me. But one day I came to know Jesus as my savior and he took away any desire I ever had for alcohol and I've been sober for 20 years. Now, when we hear a testimony like that, what should we do? Well, first of all, we should thank the Lord for that, right? What a great testimony of the power of God. I have a friend who's, who has that very testimony. In fact, he texted me. He didn't know I was going to preach on this, but he texted me just before I walked in here this morning, a deacon at my previous church. And that's exactly his testimony. He was a drunk. God uh, saved him and God removed the temptation of alcohol from his life. That is a wonderful thing. But we also should know that that's not a normal thing. That's not normally how God works. 
We will remain subjects to temptation throughout our lives. Jesus did, you will. And so what if somebody gives a testimony like this? They said, I was a, I was a drunk and I struggled with alcohol all my life. And then I came to know Christ and God began to change me. And now every time I hear the chink of ice in the glass, I have this overwhelming desire to drink. But by the grace of God, I've been able to overcome this temptation for 20 years. Now listen, that's no less miraculous a testimony than the first one. And we need to understand that if Jesus was tempted, we're going to be tempted. Now let's talk a little bit about the nature of Christ's temptation here. Uh, Christ um, had, had gone a long time without any food. He was hungry. Uh, and he had some options. Now, Jesus perhaps, perhaps had some options that you and I don't have, but, but we, we have options too. So, so Jesus is tempted. He really wants some food. He sees, this, uh, he sees these stones, and he's, he's, he has the option, and he's tempted to turn the stones into bread. And had he done that, it would have been the best bread ever, right? It would have been piping hot. It would have smelled good. It would have been tasty bread. It would have been a wonderful creation, and he could have done that. And so here's the temptation. He could wait on his father to provide for his needs, to satisfy his hunger. He could wait for his father to do that. Or he could choose his own option. He could solve his own problem. He could find a way. He could scheme and he could connive and he could satisfy his desire himself. That was the real temptation that he faced. Was he going to trust the father? Was he going to wait on the father? Or was he going to satisfy his temptation all by himself? Now here's why that's important. Because you and I face that same temptation all the time. God has given us legitimate desires. You know that any desire you have, uh, the very basic part of that desire comes from God. God gives us a desire to be loved. God gives us a desire to be secure. God gives us a desire to be accepted, to experience joy, to experience intimacy. Every desire you have, the very basic part of that desire comes from God. Now we have a choice. We can wait on God to satisfy that desire. We can wait on God to provide for us what we need, or we can choose to provide it ourselves. We can choose our own path. We can exercise our own options. We can find some illegitimate way to satisfy the desire that God has put in our heart, or we can choose to wait on God. And that decision may turn out to be the most important decision in your life. If you're a student here, if you're a high school student this morning, there are certain desires in your life. Those desires aren't wrong. God put those desires in your life. But you've got a choice. You can satisfy those desires your way. You can do it the way that the world says to do it. Or you can wait on God to satisfy those desires. If you're a college student, you have certain desires, all kinds of desires, and you can wait on God or you can, you can choose to fulfill those desires yourself. If you're in a family, in a marriage, you have desires and you can wait on God to satisfy those desires or you can satisfy them yourself. I tell you, sometimes I struggle with waiting. This is, uh, this is a weak, weak place in my life and I know it. 
There are times when I, I want to see something happen so badly. There's, there, been a, there, there are times when, I, when my desires are, are just so strong that I, I struggle to wait on the Lord. Patience is not, is not my, my thing. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who has a responsibility of overseeing a church. And we were talking about a problem that this church that he oversees is going to experience uh, in a few months. Uh, the church doesn't really know about it yet, but in a few months, this church is going to experience what's probably going to be a pretty serious problem. And so he and I were just talking about it, and, and, I, and I asked him, what, what are you going to do about it? What's your strategy? What's your plan to solve this problem? And, and he said, well, I just really feel like I need to trust the Lord to step in and solve this problem. And I said, well, yeah, I know. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. But... But what's your plan? I mean, what's your strategy? I mean, what are you going to do? Step one, step two, step three? And he didn't have any steps. And so I gave him some steps. I said, <laughs> you know, well, you ought to consider doing this and you ought to consider doing that. And he said, well, you know, we might do some of those things, but um, I just think right now we need to trust the Lord. And I left the meeting really frustrated. I, I'm telling you the truth, just really frustrated. It's not my church. I mean, it's not my responsibility, but I was frustrated. But then God reminded me, no, well, this is a weak area for you. And, and certainly you need to look into the future and we need to have plans and, 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 and that's smart. But sometimes you just need to wait on God to do something. And that was the temptation that Jesus faced. And that's the temptation that you and I face. Now in the next verse, verse four, we're gonna see his reply. And here's where Jesus experiences the victory. And here's what we need to know. So look with me in verse four. He says, he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that verse is a lot more important than you probably know. He says, he, he says I, I'm not just gonna live by bread, but I'm gonna live on everything that God gives me, on every word that comes from God's mouth. And in this response, I want to tell you that there are three things that brought Jesus the victory over this temptation and three things that you and I need to know because they can help us also have victory over this temptation. And I want to make these as personal as I can. So I'm going to, I'm going to phrase them as uh, something that you can say. Here's what Jesus said to the devil and here's what you and I need to say to these temptations when they come. One, two, three, here's what you should say. And it all comes from Matthew 4, 4. The first one is this. I will not be ruled by my appetites. The first thing that Jesus says really to Satan is, I will not be ruled by my appetites. Look back at verse 4. We're going to spend some time here. He says, he answered, it is written, man must not live by bread alone. But let's stop there. Man must not live by bread alone. He's saying, I have an appetite for bread but I'm not going to be ruled by my appetite. Now, he was hungry. He didn't deny his hunger. He didn't say, well, I'm not really very hungry, Satan. You might think I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry. No, Jesus was hungry, and he admitted his hunger. But he said, I will not be ruled by my appetite. 
And what we've got to decide is that whatever our appetite is, we won't be ruled by that. Whether your appetite is for bread or your appetite is for uh, something that would lead to gossip or some illicit relationship or you losing your temple, temper, rather, uh, whatever our appetite would demand, we've got to decide I will not be ruled by my appetite. I think to do that, we've got to have a different perspective on appetites, on desires than what we usually have. Uh, first of all, we, we've got to know that we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, we talked about that a month ago, the last time I preached. The Bible says in Romans 6, 14, sin will not rule over you. And as a Christian, I can say, no, I am not a slave to sin. The next, next thing we have to know to have this different perspective on appetites is that I'm living for a longer term goal. You know, my life is not just about what happens right now. It's not just about being satisfied in the moment. I'm living for some longer term kind of things. You know, when you see an athlete go to the weight room and work hard in the off season and train, well, why do they go through that? That's not a pleasant thing. They don't do that because that's fun. They're not doing that because it satisfies them in the moment. No, an athlete will train in the off season so that later on when the season comes, she will be in shape, he will be in shape. They will be able to have victory. No, you, you train in the moment, it's difficult in the moment so that you can have victory long-term. And when it comes to our appetites, we've gotta have this different perspective that I'm not just living for right now. I love to read books about the Navy SEALs. Do you know much about the, the SEALs and some of the training that they go through? I, I just finished a book last week, Extreme Ownership, by a couple of Navy SEALs. And they talk about, in this book, some of the training that these SEALs go through. And it's just, it's amazing. No matter how many times I read it, I'm amazed at what they go through. And uh, in, this, um, in this book, there's a chapter about how these SEALs, I think six of them at a time in the training, would take a boat, a small boat, and they would... Uh, run, run across the beach in the sand as fast as they could and they would push the boat out into the water and they would have to go out to a, a buoy or something a mile off the coast and then they would have to swamp the boat, have to turn it back over, paddle it back, uh, go around another uh, marker that was there in the sand and then they had to do it again and again and again for hours without resting. They had to do this over and over and over and it just seems like this extreme kind of training. Well, why do they do that? Well, not because it's pleasant, not because they're enjoying that in the moment, but because they have a longer term goal. They wanna be uh, victorious on the battlefield. And so when it comes to our appetites, I will not be ruled by my appetites. I've, I've just gotta recognize that I have a longer term goal. I also have to recognize that I have a higher priority. Uh, what, what's more important than scratching my itch? Well, one of those things is the, is the glory of God. Uh, I, I should not be living for my appetites. I should be living for the glory of God. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You'll seek the glory of God. And then all these other things will be provided for you. My life needs to be about something more than my appetite. The first thing that Jesus said when he faced this temptation is I will not be ruled by my appetite. He didn't deny it, but he says, I will not rule it. Something is more important than scratching this itch. Now, the second thing that he said 
is this. God is developing me. Our God is growing me or strengthening me or preparing me. Look back at verse four again. He answered, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father, from the mouth of God. He says, I won't just live by bread alone. I'm not just going to be strengthened by bread. I understand that there are some other things that God is going to do in order to strengthen me. He, he, he said, I understand that sometimes God's going to allow some difficult circumstances to come into my life. And the purpose of that is going to be to grow me and strengthen me for some future battle, from, for some future assignment that I have. In fact, there's a really unusual verse in uh, Hebrews chapter five, it's verse eight. I don't remember if I have this on the screen or not. It says, although he was son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And I don't understand all of what that verse means. Uh, it's hard to imagine that Jesus learned anything because Jesus is the son of God. But in some uh, real way, Jesus learned something about obedience from the suffering that he went through. Well, I don't fully understand that, but I do understand this. I have grown immensely. I have matured greatly in my life in the hardship times, in the temptation times that I've gone through. And when we face temptation, we've, we need to recognize that God is putting us in school, that God is preparing us for something new. Now, it's not that God tempts us. God never tempts us, but he uses that temptation to grow us and strengthen us and develop us for, for what is to come. Uh, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, said something very similar. I, I want you to see this on the screen. James chapter 1 beginning in verse two, he says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So when you go through difficulty, consider it joy. That seems odd, doesn't it? Well, here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. How can somebody be strong and endure? Well, you, you go through some hardships. And then it says, and let endurance have its full effect. I think that's important. He says, don't find a shortcut. Don't look for a way out. Suffer a little bit. Struggle a little bit. Let endurance have its full effect in you so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. See, the Lord is going to let us go through some hard times. There, there are going to be some temptations in your life. And and when we face those things and we want, to, we want to exercise our options, we want to find some other way out, what, what we've got to recognize is that maybe God has just put us in school. Maybe God is just developing us for something greater. I know it's frustrating when God doesn't just uh, remove the temptation. Have you prayed that prayer before? I know I have. God, just, just remove. I know you can do this. Just take this temptation away from me. I've struggled with this. I've fallen in this area. Would you just please take this temptation away from me? And we're frustrated when God doesn't do that sometimes. Are you frustrated? Why does God not do that? He can do that and he will do that one day, right? Why does God leave us there? Well, I, I think about something that happened with my oldest two daughters year, years ago. I'm a pretty cruel dad, I guess, but I would make them do 
page after page of long division by hand. Now, some of you a little older, we haven't done long division by hand in a while, right? But if you can remember back, there's nothing fun about that. I don't know if we have any math teachers in here, uh, but long division by hand is about the worst thing that uh, that a teenager can do. And I'd make my girls do page after page after page of long division. And uh, they hated it. They complained about it. They didn't want to do it. They thought I was a terrible dad. Now, why do you think I did that? I didn't have to do it. Why did I do that? Well, it wasn't so that I could get the answers, okay? Because it was an easier way to get the answers. If that's all I wanted, I could have whipped out a calculator and I could have gotten the answers. It would have been faster, it would have been easier, and they would have been much more accurate (laughs) if I would have done it that way. No, I didn't need the answers. I needed the growth. I needed my girls to struggle with it. I needed them to, to, to wrestle with those problems because I wanted them to grow. I wanted them to, to, to know better how to do math. And so sometimes God leaves us in these circumstances exactly because he wants us to grow. And so we respond to temptations. We can respond to temptations by just finding the easy way out. But what God wants us to do is to say, I'll stay. I will wait. I want, I won't leave until I graduate. And so when we face this temptation to, to, to abandon uh, what God is uh, uh, challenging us with, when we face this temptation to, uh, to, to not wait on the Lord, we need to recognize what God's trying to do. And then the third thing, very quickly, We need to trust God to meet our needs. We need to say to temptation, I trust God to meet my needs. Look back at verse four. He says, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus is saying is, I don't need to take a shortcut. At the end of the day, I need to trust the Lord. I need to trust that God is going to provide for me. Paul said the same thing in Philippians chapter four, verse 19. Listen to this. He said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Now, do you believe that? My God will supply all your needs, whatever you need, whatever you're being tempted about, some desire that's in your heart, God will satisfy every real need you have. He promises us that. Do you really believe that? Well, the way that you show that you believe that is you wait on him. You wait on him. See, you don't believe that just because you say you believe that. You believe that God will provide for you because you are waiting on God to provide. Now, let me show you how that works in real life. Maybe some of you really want to get married. I mean, you really want to get married. But there's not a Christian man or a Christian woman, a spiritual person in your life that uh, at, at this time... And so you've got a choice to, wait, to make. You, you, could, you could find somebody to marry, right? That's not hard. You could find somebody to marry. Or you could wait on God to provide a spiritual woman or a spiritual man. You want to buy some new furniture. Okay, this, this gets pretty practical. You want to buy some new furniture for your home, but you don't have enough money. So you have options, right? You could just go borrow the money. Or you could trust God to provide for you when you need to buy some new furniture. You you, you want intimacy. 
You want an intimate relationship. That, that's something that God has, uh, a need God has put in our lives. But you're not married, or if you are married, you're just not in a healthy place in your marriage right now. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go out and have some illicit relationship? Or are you going to wait on God to meet your need? You want to lash out at somebody because they've hurt you? They've been unkind to you. They've been unfair to you. You want, you want justice. You want to make your point. You want to lose your temper. Or are you going to wait on God to work in their heart, work in your heart? You want people to accept you. You want people to like you, but, but they don't because of the Christian stands that you take at the high school, because of the stands that you take in the workplace. Are you going to compromise so that people will like you? Or are you going to wait on the Lord to either change their hearts or to provide uh, some, some new friends? See, at the end of the day, we've just got to learn to trust God to meet the needs that we have in our lives. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 44. He said, I do not trust in my bow and my sword does not bring victory, but you, O Lord, give us victory. He said, I'm not going to lean on my own resourcefulness. I'm not going to lean on my own tools. I'm going to trust God to provide for me. Uh, Job, do you know the story, the Old Testament story of Job? Job, he lost everything. He lost his, his family, most of his family, his health, his money, his, his property. He lost everything. And he was advised to curse God and die. But you know what Job said? Though he slay me yet I will trust him. Job said, no matter how hard it gets, I will still wait on the Lord. We need to say, I trust God to meet my needs. Now let me pull all this together. Jesus was hungry, Jesus was alone, and Jesus was tempted. And we've all been there. We will all be there. But then Jesus sees something that oftentimes you and I never see. Jesus sees his father. And when Jesus sees in his mind's eye, when Jesus sees his father, he knows there's something more important in this world than just meeting my desires, scratching my itch. When he sees his father, he, he knows that there is some redemptive purpose that God's doing in this. God's put me in school and I want to I want to get stronger. When he sees his father, he knows, my father knows I have a need and I can trust that he'll meet my need when the time is right. So when we're tempted, you know what we need to do? We need to see our father. We need to be reminded there's something more important than our appetite. We need to be reminded that God's doing something in our life, even through this hardship. We need to be reminded that our God loves us. And because he's good, he'll provide for us when the time is right. Now let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If Jesus is not, if, if, you're, if the heavenly father is not your father, then we want to help you know how to, how to have that today. And when we stand and sing in a moment, I'll be standing here at the front and others will be standing here with me. You just step out from where you are and just come down here and say, hey, today I would like to know how, how God can be my father.
because that's the only hope you have. But for many of us, for most of us perhaps, we know that God is our Father. What we need to do is to invite Him into the middle of our strongest temptation. We need to say, Father, when I'm tempted, remind me that you are there. Father, this will be a decisive battle in our lives. We, uh, we're tempted all the time not to wait on you. It's hard. It's hard for me. Remind us that we can trust you in this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you.